Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, March 21st, 2013. It's a little bit frantic and hectic here at the uh, Pirate Christian Studios. Tomorrow is our travel day. We're traveling to uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota for Saturday's uh, series of lectures that I'll be presenting at Kongsvinger. So... We're squeezing a bunch of things together today, last second. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to, well, open our Bibles and see if what people are saying, well, is true. And this is becoming a recurring theme here at Fighting for the Faith. For for this reason, there... I apologize for the metaphor, but it's as if... A whole bunch of people in Christianity have all of a sudden become intoxicated on their own religious ideas. And um, it, it, it it's mind-boggling. It's like, why on earth should I believe your crazy theological ideas over and above Scripture? And so what's being pitched out there is, as Christianity isn't even biblical. It's just what people have concocted in their brains. And my question is, why on earth should we believe that just because somebody has an opinion of something, that that opinion now rises to the level of Christian doctrine, Christian dogma? And they say, well, we're not saying it's dog- dogma is bad. Well, no, actually, what you're doing is creating new dogma, and you're creating it whole cloth, as if you could just pull a dogma out of the sky. Um yeah, it just is bizarre. And so, you know, it, it it seems that lately I keep coming back to this microphone and uh and over and again I have to keep asking the question, where are these people getting this from? In fact, you remember a, a couple of weeks ago we talked about Tony Jones's uh ideas regarding uh, Christ's atonement and where he was, you know, publicly on his blog denying penal substitution, coming up with these weird ideas. And I, I relayed to you how I had gone onto his blog and had, you know, an exchange uh, with him via his blog. And he ended, he ended up literally deleting the biblical verses out of the comments that I left on his blog. He left my statements, but made sure to go in and X out, absolutely delete 
um, the biblical passages that I had put up there that solidly showed that what he is believing, teaching, and confessing is somehow Christian theology is flat out blatantly contradicted by clear passages in Scripture. So he, what does he have to do? He gets rid of those. What I thought funny at that point, and uh, I, if you uh, were to go back and take a look at that exchange, is that um, no sooner had Tony Jones and I finished our little exchange where he deleted my comments uh, Well, not my comments, but deleted the biblical passages that contradicted him. No sooner did that happen than um, Jim Baker, or Jay, sorry, Jay Baker, the you know the gay affirming emergent uh, guy. If if you're familiar with him, uh, his father is the uh, world famous uh, scandal ridden uh, you know televangelist uh, Jim Baker. Uh, He and his wife uh, uh, Tammy Faye, uh, you know, they had that PTL scandal. And, you know, back in the day, back when Jay was just a teenager. And oh, anyway, but no sooner did I, you know, I finished my exchange with um, with Tony Jones than Jay Baker chimes in and starts making an argument, that, basically saying that we can't be, we can't believe or trust the Bible. And uh, and so today I, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for the program. I actually sent out a tweet and a Facebook status with this thought kind of encapsulated. Um, by the way, I I have uh, I've finally have uh, become happy and thrilled with Evernote. Um, I you know from time to time you have things that you want to say that just don't warrant a full blown blog post. And they're just way too long for Twitter. And they used to have this service that was attached to, I think, TweetDeck that uh, used to make it so that you can have really long tweets. And then, it, what was it called? Deckly or something like that? Anyway, I forget the name of it. But um, what it would, the idea is that you can have longer thoughts than, you know, just the 140 characters. And then it would send it out with a link to the full thing and kind of a teaser as part of the the uh, the normal tweet. And I, I know there's services out there, but I've been using Evernote uh, to basically fill in that little gap, you know, the, the thing that's too long for Twitter but not long enough for a blog post. And so I started using this over the weekend. I'm very thrilled with it. But I, I sent one out today who said the, uh, how the odd thing about liberal theologians, the odd thing about liberal theologians, and uh, here's what I said. I said, I find it odd that liberal theologians attack God's word and insist that it can't be trusted. But then they expect us to trust the theologies, and you know, I almost have to put air quotes, the theologies that they've concocted inside their minds and hearts. Again, why should I trust the minds and hearts of liberal theologians over and against, well, the scriptures? How are they more trustworthy than God's word? And I think this is kind of the quintessential question to be asking right now as Rob Bell continues uh, creating this wake of destruction in the uh, as he's on this book tour for his uh, new book, What We Talk About When We Talk About God. Um, and it, not only that, we, the bobble as well. In fact, one of the stories I want to cover today is saw this on the on the uh, like Christian Newswire that there is a novel get this okay you, the you, the mini series the history channel mini series the bobble we call it the bobble um it there's there is a novel written by Roma Downey um based on the mini series the bobble 
And then you just go, what? I thought the whole point of the Bible was to get people to read their Bibles. Who know it was, well, who knew that it was all about getting people to read the new novel based on the miniseries, The Bible, which it just is bizarre. I mean, it just gets crazier and crazier by the day out there. Okay, so let's, in fact, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Um, we're going to start off with a Patricia King gang update. And they have, <laughs> they have a new channel partner. They have a brand new channel partner. I have never seen nor heard this person until today. And um, his name is Dr. Dr. Francis Miles. Dr. Francis Miles. And he <laughs> has a series of videos about the Order of Melchizedek. And so we're going to learn today from Dr. Francis Miles how to break uh, generational curses through the order of Melchizedek. This is <laughs> the latest Patricia King gang update. And I will be playing our standard warning before I play that because <laughs> this is crazy. Then what we'll do is we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back from the break, I, there's several different ways that I can go today. In fact, today's program may be a little bit more fluid than I prefer, but, um, depending on a couple of things here. But um, what I want to do is play for you a weird discussion of regarding truth from a, you know, a leadership network book uh, called uh, Prodigal Christianity. Uh, the, the authors of the book have a series of videos that they've posted on YouTube, and they call them signposts, apparently signposts regarding prodigal Christianity. And just a strange discussion of truth that they have on their YouTube channel as they're discussing the, their book, Prodigal Christianity, that I think is uh, sets up perfectly where we're going to go with the Rob Bell piece because we have another Rob Bell update. And, uh, and in fact, he has he's done another interview, this one with Odyssey Networks. He's done another interview basically elaborating on his on why he is gay affirming and why he says that Christians need to support gay marriage. And we'll take a look at that. And then I'll probably also read part of the uh, the, the news story or the newswire uh, regarding, uh, well, Roma Downey's new book entitled The Story of God and All of Us, a novel based upon the epic TV series The Bible, a.k.a. The Bobble, which is... It, it, I feel like it's just a Twilight Zone episode today. But uh, then what we'll do when we're done with all of that, I know it's, it seems so disjointed, all of this is just crazy, is we're going to be listening to and reviewing a David Crank sermon, get this, entitled Power of a Hug. <laughs> I feel like I should just walk away from the microphone. This this is one of those ones, the episodes of Fighting for the Faith, that I don't even know how to properly categorize it. This is just one of those programs where you scratch your head and go, yeah, I don't know what's happened. And, and like I said at the opening of the program, it's as if large portions of visible Christianity, or at least you know, those portions that you can see of, of the visible church, have become intoxicated on non-lucid thinking on their own religious ideas, idolatrous at that. I mean, I don't even know how to quite describe what it is that I'm seeing, but it's hitting literally 
epidemic proportions to the point where it makes you wonder what is going on is there something in the water is it is it has the food supply been tampered with because this type of lunacy that we're hearing that's passing itself off as christianity would have never flown never gotten a, you know gotten by you know 25 30 years ago not quite like this not in the mainstream of evangelicalism so this again it's just well kind of crazy so i think it's important that i play for you our standard warning and then we'll get to our patricia king gang update um talking about you know, breaking generational curses through the order of melchizedek you'll find this to be rather fascinating in fact i'm thinking that this uh, person may be uh the third eagle of the apocalypse co-prophet I'm just thinking that maybe the two of these guys need to get together and and do a singular YouTube channel. But uh, here's our standard warning for today. Here we go. Warning. Fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. You have been properly warned. So have you ever wondered how it is that you can use the Order of Melchizedek in order to break the general uh, generational curses that uh, may be oppressing you in your life? <laughs> I've never once asked a question anything like that for myself. But if you've been wondering on how to break generational curses using the Order of Melchizedek, well, then you're in luck. Because brand new XPmedia.com channel partner, Dr. Francis Miles, is here to discuss how exactly to do that. Again, I've warned you. Here we go. Welcome to the Order of Melchizedek television show with your host, Dr. Francis Miles. Much is said about the Melchizedek priesthood in Scripture, but few New Testament believers understand this powerful priesthood and how it affects today. But this story of love and manifest destiny started over 4,000 years ago on a dusty road. <laughs> story of love and manifest destiny. By the way, the production value of this video is... <laughs> Well, it leaves much to be desired. But in a valley in the Middle East, when Abraham was intercepted by Melchizedek, a divine king-priest from the realms of eternity, this Melchizedek, who was actually a glorious manifestation of Christ in human form, brought Abraham into the living covenant with God and gave him power to live above this demonic world. Now it's your time to be intercepted by this eternal royal priesthood. Time for you to be intercepted. I thought that only happened to footballs, but okay. Hello, friend. This is Dr. Francis Miles, the author of the best-selling book, The Order of Melchizedek. Best-selling? R really? I. How many copies of this book have you sold? 
Uh, by the way, it looks like he's recording um, this video in his living room. I want to welcome you to my TV show. I tell you, we, we have an amazing subject for you today. It's called Breaking Generational Curses Under the Order of Melchizedek. I went into my st studios and I recorded, recorded this dynamic teaching. You recorded this dynamic teaching. If you have to say that your teaching is dynamic, I'm pretty sure that means that it isn't. There's also an accompanying book called Breaking Generational Curses under the same title. I tell you, we have seen hundreds and hundreds of people in the body of Christ. Actually, thousands now get delivered from incipitous generational curses that have, have been sabotaging their lives, their success, their dreams, their aspirations. Mm, generational curses that have been sabotaging. That would be sabotaging their dreams. Really? Oh, that's terrible. That just, it sounds like a, just a curse upon humanity. Well, I tell you, my friend, if you're one of those people, God can bring great deliverance to you. You see, in this dynamic teaching... There you go again. In this Again, if you have to say your teaching is dynamic, it probably isn't. I discuss stuff like how gener gener generational cases work. Yeah, I, could you explain that to us? I'd like to know exactly how does a generational curse work. Now, that's kind of a weird way of putting it. it well, here's the reason why. is because as I've read my Bible, I have never once come across a single passage that says, and this, thus saith the Lord, is how generational curses worketh. Nothing to that effect at all. And so I'm fairly certain that whatever you are going to say at this point regarding how generational curses work isn't going to be based upon a clear passage from the Word of God. I'm just I'm going to bet my money there here. You know, the law that governs generational curses and how to break that law. I'm telling you, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ has his own generation. And in this dynamic... Uh, the, the Bible tells us Jesus has his own generation? What? ...teaching, I'm going to show you how you can appropriate the, the, the generation that Jesus brought to the earth. So Jesus has his own generation, and you're going to teach us how to appropriate Jesus' generation? Huh? You see, let me first define a, a, a generational curse. Please do. The, a generational curse is made up of, uh, the word generation is made up of two words. Gene and ration. According so the word generation has two words in it, gene and ration. To, how, to Mendel, the father of modern day genetics. Uh, genes are carry the, what is known as the hereditary traits. They carry the hereditary traits that make a daughter like the, like the mother, a son like the father. Okay, so Mendel, the, the early uh, geneticist, claims that genes carry hereditary traits. Yeah, okay, don't have a problem with that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but Mendel isn't really mentioned in the Bible. Are carried by genes. Yes. And the word, so the, and the word ration simply means portion. The, the, the word ration, so generation, uh, so that means genetic traits portion, huh? So therefore, a, a generational curse is simple. A generational curse is a is is a curse that's attached to your ration of genes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so. so 
Okay, let me see. I have this right. A generational curse is a curse that's attached to my ration of genes. That would be my portion. Oh no! See, I'm I'm thinking this uh, this guy, uh, you know, Doctor Miles here. He this he may be the co-prophet with uh, William Tapley because you know, we've always wondered. You know, when, when William Tapley says that he's the third eagle of the apocalypse and co-prophet of the end times, who is he co-profiting with? I'm my bet. He's, he's co-profiting with this guy. That you received from your ancestors. Therefore, you cannot break a generational curse until you change your ration of genes. So you can't... <laughs> oh, this is horrible. So you can't break a generational curse and... <laughs> Hang on a second. This is the silliest definition I've heard in a while. Backing the audio up... Just... Uh, is, is a curse that's attached... Your ration of genes yes. that you receive from your ancestors. Yeah. Therefore, you cannot break a generational curse until you change your ration of genes. So I can't break a generational curse until I change my ration of genes. Wow. I mean, he's so glad you gave us such a simple definition. It sounds like it's no problem now that I you've spelled it out for me. I just need to go change the curse that's in my ration of genes. That you receive from your ancestors. Yeah. This is why Jesus came and shed his blood. Not just to forgive us from our sins. No, see, see, that's the thing. One of the things I've noticed about heretics is they'll always say, listen, Jesus came to do more than just die for our sins. And yeah, technically that's true. But what they're trying to basically do is say, listen, you know, we're, we're going to hijack the... Um, the biblical teaching regarding Christ's penal substitutionary atonement, how we are redeemed and purchased by the blood of Christ, right? So, you know, and we're, we're going to hijack this. So what they do is they say, well, listen, sure, Jesus died for our sins, but, oh, man, there was so much more going on than that. And, and, and then the next thing that comes out of their mouth is not actually anything that's said in the Bible, um, yeah, let me back this up so we don't miss uh, even a second. Lee Jesus came and shed his blood. Yeah. Not just to forgive us from our sins, but literally to give us a new ration of genes. Ah, so Jesus shed his blood to give us a new ration of genes. <laughs> really? I've never seen that verse. Where'd you get this from? Because his blood is the perfect blood specimen. It's a perfect is his blood contained the perfect genetic sequence ever known known to mankind? Ah, so it contains the perfect genetic sequence. Right. What verse says that again? This is why Jesus has his own generation. The problem is, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Many of God's people don't know that Jesus has his own generation that they can appropriate and dis- and 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 disassociate. Disassociate themselves from the blood and inheritance of their ancestors. So, in this powerful teaching, I choose powerful teaching. In this power, yeah, if you have to say that your teaching is powerful, it probably isn't. I teach you how to how to get delivered from any connection to the lineage of your ancestor of your ancestors on your mother's side and your father's side by changing the ration of genes using the perfect genetic sequence of the blood of Jesus, who was doing more than just dying for our sins. Right. Because the Bible says Melchizedek was a priest who had no mother and no father. No mother, no father. Why is this important? Because all generational cases come from the mother's side and the father's side. 
So when you belong to a royal priesthood, when you are part of an eternal order where the high priest has no mother and no father, guess what? That order, that priesthood has the power to deliver you from whatever generational junk that's coming from your mother's side, that's coming from your father's side. You can be free of generational curses. We have had people get healed from cancer. We have had people get healed from diabetes. We have had people... Yeah, I'd like to see the doctor's reports on that. I mean, anybody can claim that, hey, we've had people get cured of this disease or that disease or whatever disease. But uh, having it confirmed scientifically and medically, well, that's a whole other thing. Get healed from tumors when they jump the line. Yes, I teach you how... When they, so they were healed from tumors when they jumped the line? Huh? To, to jump a prophetic breadline. How to jump a prophetic breadline. Okay, so you have people that were attending your powerful and dynamic teaching regarding the order of Melchizedek and breaking generational curses by changing their ration of genes. And the big breakthrough happened when they jumped over a prophetic breadline. Oh, wow. Prophetic bloodline. When you jump oh, the br- bloodline. Prophetic bloodline. Prophetic bloodline yeah. as a prophetic act. God will deliver you from the generation of curses coming from your ancestors. So I have to prophetically jump over a prophetic bloodline. It is a powerful, and I talk about how to do that in this, this dynamic teaching. Yeah, don't you think that if the Bible wanted us to jump over prophetic bloodlines in order to change the ration of genes... Um, uh, to break a generational curse using the Melchizedek thing, don't you think the Bible would actually teach us that, like in the you know, like clearly and unambiguously that you know, thus saith the Lord, if you want to break a generational curse, uh, you need to change your ration of genes by jumping over a prophetic bloodline. Don't you think the Bible would say that? I don't know of any passages that say this. I'm telling you, it is time for you to be free. From any kind of generational iniquity, yeah. curses that the enemy has been using to block your destiny. Yeah, they, oh, no. So the enemy can use these general generational curses to blow up my destiny. Well, that explains everything. In Jesus' mighty name. It is time for you. In Jesus' name. Oh, man. Well, this is what Jesus said. He said that false teachers and false prophets would arise and come to us in his name... And, well, there you go. We've got an example of that. None of that makes any sense. I mean, did did any of that make any sense to you about the importance of changing the ration of genes by jumping over a prophetic bloodline? Yeah, I'm I'm completely at a loss myself. With that, I think we're going to take a quick break, pay some bills, and... See if I can shake the weirdness out of my head there. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, uh, at pirate Christian. Quick break, we'll be right back. Got a little bit of news regarding the bobble and uh, some weird stuff regarding the truth and a Rob Bell update. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Can I help you? Yes. Do you have a copy of 30 Days in the Desert to Learn Your Purpose and to Cast the Vision to the Ignorant Masses by S. Furtick, QWZ? Uh, well, I don't know the book, sir. Uh, never mind. Never mind. How about 101 Ways to Build a Mega Church and Make Big Bucks? I? Well, some American gentleman whose name eludes me at the moment. I believe his last name rhymes with Shin. Uh, no. Well, we haven't gotten in stock, sir. <sighs> oh, well. Not to worry. Not to worry. Can you help me with the screw tape letters? Ah, yes. C.S. Lewis. No. I beg your pardon? No, Harold Wapcat. I think you'll find C.S. Lewis wrote the screw tape letters. No, no, Lewis wrote the screw tape letters with one C. This is the screw tape letters with two C's by Harold Wapcat. The screw tape letters with two C's. Yes, I should have said that. Yes, well, in that case, we don't have it. Hmm, funny, you've got a lot of books here. Yes, we do, but we don't have the screw tape letters with two C's by Harold Wapcat. Hmm, pity, it's more thorough than Lewis's. More thorough? Yes, I, I wonder if it might be worth looking through all of your screw tape letterses. No, sir, all of our screw tape letterses have one C. Are you sh quite sure? Quite. Mm, not worth just looking. Definitely not. <sighs> all right, how about the great divorce? Yes, well, we have that. That's G R A T E, divorce, but also by Harold Wapcat. Yes, well, in that case, we don't have it. We don't have anything by Harold Wapcat. Actually, he's not very popular. Not the problem of pain. That's P R O L P R O A B L U M. No. Mm, the Chronicles of Narnia with a K. No. How about Out of the Violent Planet? Definitely not. <sighs> Sorry to trouble you. Not at all. Good morning. Good morning. Oh! Yes. I, I wonder if you might have a copy of Perilous Landra. No, as I said before, we're right out of Harold Wapcat. No, not Harold Wapcat. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Yes! You mean Paralandra? No, Perilous Landra by C.S. Lewis. That's Lewis with two S's, the well-known feminist lesbian theologian. No, well, we don't have Perilous Lunger by C.S. Lewis with two S's, the well-known feminist lesbian theologian, and perhaps to save time, I should add that we don't have Dandy Landra by C.S. Lewis, or the penultimate battle by Clive Staples' Chewbacca, or even Out of the Silent but Deadly Planet by B.S. Lewis with four eyes and a silent Q. <sighs> what a pity, that's my favorite. Why don't you try Zondervan? I, I did, they sent me here. Did they? I, I wonder. Oh, do go on, please. Yes, I, I wonder if you might have the amazing adventures of Pastor Perry Noble and his intrepid spaniel Stig amongst the giant purpose-driven pygmies of Beckles. Volume 8. No, don't have that. Funny. Got a lot of books here. Well, I mustn't keep you standing here, thank you. Oh, well, do you have... No, no, we haven't, we haven't. But, 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 Sorry, it's 1 o'clock, we're closing for lunch. I, I saw it, I saw it! What? What? I, I saw it over there, Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Meyer. Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Meyer. Yes. B-O-D-I-E-S? Yes! M-A-Y-E-R? Yes! Yes, well, we do have that, as a matter of fact. The expurgated version. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. The expurgated version. The expurgated version of Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Mayer? The one without the Lutherans. The, the one without the Lutherans? They've all got the Lutherans. It's a standard religious body. The Lutherans are in all the books. Well, I don't like them. They baptize infants. All right, I'll remove it. <laughs> Any other religious bodies you don't like? I don't like the Presbyterians. Uh, the Presbyterians, right. Presbyterians. There you are. Any others you don't like? Any others? The Methodists. The Methodists, the Methodists, the Methodists, the Methodists. Ah, oh, here they are. There you are. No Lutherans, no Presbyterians, no Methodists. There's your book. I can't buy that. It's torn. <laughs> I, I wonder if you have... Um... No, go on. Ask me anything. We've got lots of book here. You know, it's a bookshop. How about Osteen brushes his teeth? No, 
no, we don't have that one. Funny. Uh, the Gospel According to Rob Bell. No, no, no. Try me again. Uh, I know. Uh, Martin Chemnitz is the two natures in Christ. No, no, no. What, 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 what? Yeah, Martin Chemnitz is the two natures in Christ. Martin Chemnitz is two... Na- huh? <laughs> yes, we got it. I said it somewhere. Yes, <laughs> I found it here. Got it. Yes, here we are. Martin Chemnitz is two natures in Christ. There's your book. Now buy it. I don't have enough money. I'll take a deposit. I, I don't have any money. I'll take a check. I, I don't have a checkbook. I got a blank one. I, I don't have a bank account. Right. I'll buy it for you. There we are. There's changes of money for a taxi on the wait, way home. There's wait, your wait, wait. What, 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 what? I can't read. You can't read. Right? Sit down. Sit down. Sit, sit. Are you sitting comfortably? Right. Chapter one. Because the person of the incarnate Christ is made up of two natures, the divine and the human, united into one hypostasis, there follows from this a communion of attributes. You can register now for the 10th annual Branson Worldview Weekend in beautiful Branson, Missouri, Friday night, April 26th, Saturday, April 27th, and Sunday morning, April 28th, 2013. Full details are at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. That's worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. Speakers this year will include Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. We'll also have speaking with us for the first time his son-in-law, Bodie Hodge, along with Pastor Jesse Johnson, a regular guest here on Worldview Weekend Radio. We'll also be joined by Chris Pinto with a brand new presentation. Mike Gendron will also bring a new presentation, as will Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. We'll also be joined this year for the first time at a Branson Worldview Weekend by Jason Carlson and Jared Carlson. We'll also be joined for the first time in a conference setting by Carl Tykrib. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. We have a family rate and group rate. You can go ahead and purchase your tickets now and receive priority upfront seating when you purchase your tickets now at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. And join us April 26, 27, and 28 in Branson, Missouri. Missouri. <laughs> the spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner, and the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. Some of the things you hear on Fighting for the Faith are so bizarre that they, your reaction to what you hear could cause you physical harm. So be careful. 
Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we truly do depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Um, Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Yeah, now I we're going to move along here. I'm beginning to think that this is like a Twilight Zone episode of Fighting for the Faith. Here's why. From the Religious News Service, the headline here reads... Book based on the Bible miniseries becomes national bestseller on the heels of telecast success. How? <laughs> okay. Wasn't the whole point of the miniseries, the Bible, to make the Bible help people be more biblically literate? It was, it was, you know, to get people to read, you know, like the best-selling book of all time, you know, the Bible. No, no, no. <laughs> Apparently not. This is taken straight off, by the way, the uh, press releases. Um, <clears throat> Roma Downey and uh, Mark Burnett penned a story of God and all of us for the whole family. Yeah. So there's a book. Roma Downey, by the way, practicing Roman Catholic who is getting a master's degree in like religious psychology from a New Age guru. She's written a novel based upon the miniseries, the Bible. So the miniseries, the Bible, is only loosely based on the Bible itself. And now there's a there's a there's a novel not based on the actual biblical text, but on the miniseries, the Bible. I what I mean, <laughs> I just want to take my head and beat it against my desk. What is happening to the world? It's as if people have gone crazy. This, let me read, Uh, Dateline Nashville, Tennessee, America's highest rated cable television program has generated a national best-selling book, Faith Words, an imprint of Hatchet Book Group. Boy, that's appropriate. (laughs) Oh, wow. A a book publisher named Hatchet. Yep, that's about right. Faith Words, an imprint of Hatchet Book Group, is pleased to announce that A Story of God and All of Us, a novel based on the epic TV miniseries The Bobble, that's not what it says, that's what I'm saying, uh, by by Roma Downey and Mark Burnett, has become a national bestseller. The book debuted at number six on the publisher's weekly hardcover fiction list, and will debut at 27 on the New York Times hardcover fiction list on March 27th. Quote, We are incredibly humbled by the reaction to the series and the books, said Roma Downey and Mark Burnett. Working with this sacred text is a -a once-in-a-lifetime honor. That's kind of interesting because, you know, pastors, they get that once-in-a-lifetime honor every single week. Our hope is that the books will continue to inspire and encourage. First, the series becomes a number number one in television. Now the book is on the New York Times bestseller, God is Moving. Oh, so the way you know God is moving is by the due to the fact that your novel, 
based upon a miniseries that butchers the Bible, which I'm, which makes me wonder, are you going to butcher the, the screenplay as much as you butchered the actual biblical text in this fictional account? And the name of it is like uber creepy. A Story of God and All of Us. Okay. So she thinks that because you know it debuts on the New York Times bestseller list, that, that that proves that God is moving. You know, it doesn't prove anything. If you want to know whether or not God is moving, the proof is in the theological pudding. Uh, if you want to know if whether or not God is moving, you look to see if when people encounter this, they are brought to repentant faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Which, by the way, reminds me. Somebody sent me a link to a preview of the um, upcoming episode of this week's upcoming episode of the Bible, at least a couple of scenes from it. And uh, I took the time to watch the um, the Lord's Supper scene in its entirety. And oh, boy, it, it, it this is a this is it's majorly creepy. And there are some significant theological omissions, significant theological omissions in uh, the Lord's Supper scene, which I'm sure will have me pulling my hair out on Monday of next week. But uh, great way. Come back from North Dakota and then (laughs) end up having to spend the evening watching the latest installment of The Bobble and then producing radio to to deal with it. Anyway, I can hardly wait to get back. Quote, um, we are ecstatic that Roma's and Mark's track record of producing hits has followed them from television to publishing, publishing said Rolf Zetterston, uh, senior vice president and publisher for, of Hatchet. And <laughs> that is that is a hilarious name for a pub- Yeah, that's right. That is so appropriate. Their books are every bit as magical and successful as their miniseries production. Magical may be right. I think it has more in common with Hogwarts than it does with the actual biblical text. So, I mean, this is, again, this is one of those stories that just makes you scratch your head and go, what is going on in the world? What is happening that, you know, (laughs) that this is being basically produced as news that, that people should be, like, happy about? It doesn't make any sense at all. And then we <laughs> moving along to our next thing here. I don't have any intro update music for this, but I was I came across today a series of videos put out by uh, some guys that have their book featured uh, as a, a book that pastors should be getting uh, by Leadership Network. And the name of the book is The Prodigal Church. And so they they're talking about particular signposts regarding the prodigal church i guess it's supposed to lead you back to what the what the church's mission is supposed to be and the authors discussed the truth well in these terms listen in hey everybody we're back again uh doing uh, promo videos for prodigal christianity we're now on signpost four by the way the author's name are fitch and um holesclaw uh the signpost about embodied witness the signpost about embodied witness. What's that? Actually, the title is witness. Yeah, the title is witness, but really, the the idea that we try to get a hold of is is the idea of truth. And yeah, which would be a good thing to do. I hope you did it truthfully. I still think truth is very important. Oh, that's good. I'm glad you think the truth is very important. I, we wouldn't want to mistake you with those people who think the truth isn't important. I'm glad you 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 think truth has some merit to it. 
Um, sometimes, sometimes people think truth is is too important, or they understand it in a certain way. Is that we- so? Truth can be too important, huh? You know, I've never heard anybody complain in their normal lives. You know, listen, we got way too much truth going on in our lives. Way too much. I mean, for instance, okay. I know that many of you listeners out there, well, you know, like me, you keep track of your bank account, okay? And, you know, when you check your bank statement online and you see what the balance is, you you don't sit there and go, you know, those bankers, they really irk me. They really, man, I can't stand them. You You know what I hate about bankers is they got way too much truth going on in how they calculate my, um, my bank balance every, every morning. You don't, you don't, I don't hear anybody saying that. I mean, do you, uh, too much truth going on out there, you know, regarding, you know, pick this topic, right? Um, when was, I mean, seriously, when, when, do you all recall any of Jesus's apostles or even Jesus himself saying, now listen, truth is good, but you don't want to have too much of it. This is weird. Just need to proclaim the truth. We need to proclaim the gospel, and that really, these uh, the truth of the gospel ends up becoming ideas. But then on the other, so the truth is so. If you're out there proclaiming too much truth, and you're proclaiming the truth, then the truth of the gospel becomes ideas, huh? And sometimes we get lost in conversation. People react, oh, uh, you're just proclaiming the truth. You're like hitting people on the head with truth. Let's just talk about it. Let's have a conversation. So let's have – so then you got the other side of that, people who feel like they're being clobbered by truth and they'd rather not have it proclaimed to them. They just want to talk about it. You, you mean postmodern types. Conversation. Let's discuss uh, what could be true. Um, but we think between those two options is something uh, more prodigal. In- uh, so between the options of – Proclaiming too much truth and people who don't want to have it proclaimed but just discuss it. That there, what was that word you used again? That's something more prodigal. Um, why would I want to be prodigal? Hang on a second, I got to back the audio up here just a smidge. See if we can catch what he said. Discuss uh, what could be true. Um, but we think between those two options is something uh, more prodigal. Between those two options is something more prodigal. Could you tell me how you're defining that word in that sentence? In the way that God works and what he's calling us into for mission. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, again, in post-Christendom, it's just not enough to declare truth, which we need to do. And it's not not enough to declare truth. We need to do that. Enough to discuss truth. So it's not enough to discuss truth, but we need to do that. Conversation, which we need to do. Yeah. We must discern truth. And so we must discern truth, right? In real bodies of people. Discern truth in real bodies of people. You lost me. I have no idea how you're using truth in that sub the subordinate clause there. That can incarnate it. That can live it. That can... Uh... What? Hang on. Packing this up. This doesn't make any sense to me. Hold on. Can you make heads or tails of this? Do And it's not enough to discuss truth right. in conversation, which we need to do. Yeah. We must discern truth in real bodies of people that can incarnate it, that can live it, that can... Uh... So we need to discern truth in real bodies of people who can incarnate it. (laughs) Man, wow, this is Christian teaching? Where in in the Bible does it talk about the need for us to discern truth in communities that can incarnate it, being it being truth? How do you incarnate truth? What are you talking about?
witness to it, that can show what it looks like. Yeah, huh? So you know, so you can witness to it and show what truth looks like. Okay, what if truth looks like a really intimidating large sumo wrestler type? I mean, do, would anyone want to engage in conversation and proclaim that truth if that's what truth looked like? Because, I mean, who knows what kind of shape it's going to take once it's incarnated. When we live this together and salvation births uh, its reality in our lives. Salvation births its reality in... Mm, I need a map for this video. And so that's what witness is, and we got to take that third step or that beyond step. I thought witness, okay, Greek word martyreo, I thought witness has to do with, you know, going out and proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. The disciples, the apostles, they were eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, teaching, miracles, death, and bodily resurrection from the grave. And they went out into the world and they witnessed to this and they proclaimed repentance and the forgiveness of sins. They made disciples, baptizing and teaching all the things that Christ is. It's pretty straightforward if we just stick with the biblical words. What you're, These words you're using, I don't even know what they mean. How is this truth? Why would truth be so ponderously difficult to understand that you can't even tell whether it's true or not? This is weird. Let me back this up again. I, I don't understand the sentence. In real bodies of people yeah. that can incarnate it. That can yeah, it's the real bodies of people that can incarnate truth. Live it. That can uh, witness. That can live truth. To it. That can show what it looks like yeah. when we live this together and salvation births uh, its reality in our lives. Yeah, right. And so that's what witness is and we got to take that third step. Or What do you think about the uh, the order of Melchizedek and breaking generational curses using that by, um, you know, <laughs> changing our... our um, our, our ration of genes. Have you ever heard of that? I mean, this sounds similar to this to me. Or that beyond step that really becomes prodigal when we inhabit neighborhoods. And okay, got to back this up. I don't know what he's talking about. So we got to inhabit neighborhoods now. But the neighborhood I live in is already inhabited. Like when we live this together and salvation births uh, its reality in our lives. Right. And so that's what witness is. And we got to take that third step or that beyond step that really becomes prodigal when we inhabit neighborhoods. Yeah, it really becomes prodigal when you inhabit a neighborhood. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what this means. And, and witness to the truth like that. So that's what the uh, signpost four is about in, in our book, Prodigal Christianity. So yeah, based upon this video, it's pretty clear that the book Prodigal Christianity probably is a book just full of non-lucid thoughts. Because, I mean, if you really want to be prodigal, you got to go out and inhabit neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah, because that's where real witness takes place right after the... Yeah. <clears throat> You get what I'm saying. I I don't know what that was. So, I mean, did that little discussion regarding truth in prodigal Christianity help you understand what truth or witness is? <laughs> After listening to that particular video introduction, I have no clue how they were using either the word truth, witness, or incarnation. All of which are words that are biblical, but the way they were using them was so foreign and bizarre to me. I have no clue what the definitions were. <clears throat> Talking about non, uh, the non-ability to understand thinking or words or thoughts, <clears throat> it's time for a Rob Bell update.
yourself in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade skies. You know, the Beatles almost make more sense. She calls you, you answer quite slowly. A girl with kaleidoscope The song is almost clear to me now. So that's our Rob Bell update music. We changed it from uh, Champagne Supernova to uh, the Beatles' Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds recently. Uh, Both of them, both those songs really do have a similar uh, idea behind them, and that is is I have no clue what it is that the lyrics are hinting at, getting at, or whatever. I mean, yeah, Lucy, although i got to tell you, after listening to those two regarding prodigal Christianity, uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds is really starting to... Maybe makes sense to me. But all of that is to introduce, uh, well, our latest Rob Bell update. And Rob Bell, again, he's been making the rounds because, you know, that's what Rob Bell does. And he recently appeared on Odyssey Networks' website uh, explaining why he supports gay marriage. And, well, this kind of goes back to the point I was making earlier. Um, The weird thing about liberal theologians, if you can even call them theologians, is that they engage in deconstructing the biblical text and insist that it can't be trusted, but then they want us to trust their heart, their thoughts, their theologies that they've concocted inside themselves. And my question is, why would Rob Bell's, you know, uh, the homegrown, homespun theology be more... Um, authoritative and, and something I should be believing, well, I should be believing Rob Bell's theology rather than the clear teaching of the Word of God. I, I don't understand why Rob Bell all of a sudden has these, this authority that whatever he says, this must be the new, the tr- new true reality for Christianity. Yeah, here's Rob Bell to explain from the Odyssey Networks, why he supports gay marriage, and see what you think of this. What we're seeing right now in this day, I believe God pulling us ahead into greater and greater affirmation and acceptance of our gay brothers and sisters and pastors and friends and neighbors. So you believe that God is pulling us ahead into more and more affirmation of, you know, Homosexual things, right? Um, Based on what? Where are you getting this idea that God is ahead of us pulling us into more affirmation? Um, I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. Nothing in Scripture would lead me to believe that that's the case. And considering the fact that the Bible says that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is what scripture says about God and his nature. He doesn't change. 
we have in the written word of God very clear passages, multiple passages, a large portion of passages that they don't affirm homosexual relationships or marriage or anything like that and or, or or you know lust or attraction or anything of that of that nature whatsoever in fact every single passage where homosexuality is brought up um it's condemned as sin it's condemned as sin the same way adultery is condemned as sin the same way that lying is condemned as sin the same way that stealing is condemned as sin the same way as taking god's name is in vain is condemned as sin and nowhere in Scripture um, is homosexual anything ever affirmed, blessed, or anything by God. And since Scripture says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, why should I now, because just because you say so, believe that God is now ahead of us, pulling us into a future of affirming the things that he's condemned? And co-workers. And we're realizing that God made some of us one way and some of us another. And it- we're realizing that God made some of us one way or another. So God made people um, homosexual. There's a single passage that says that. It says that God made us male and female. Hmm. It can be a beautiful thing. And so instead of throwing stones and causing more pain and suffering in the world by excluding some and writing off others and speaking incredibly... By excluding some and writing off others. Huh. So is the Bible all about inclusiveness? The Bible is apparently all about inclusiveness. Hmm. I wonder if Jesus ever excluded some people or, you know, caused pain and sorrow. Hmm, let me take a look at my Bible. Yeah, here we go. Matthew chapter 11, <clears throat> verses uh, 20 through 24. Let's see here. Um, then he, that's Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Then the next part here, this is all red letters for all you red letter Christians out there. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Yeesh, that doesn't sound very loving here. Let me see here, then uh, let's t- talk about excluding some people here. Um, Matthew chapter 25 uh, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates, well, sheep from the goats. And then he will place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Then, he will, uh, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you and from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when do we clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, well, truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these uh, my brethren, your, my brothers, you did to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, 
you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. So then they will answer, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, that would be his brothers, you did not do it to me. And then he will, then these, the <clears throat> goats, will go away into eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. Hmm. Jesus seems to be in part about, well, excluding people. Hmm. Let me see if there's some other passages that may confirm what I'm saying here that there, there seems to be a biblical theme regarding, well, excluding, you know, having some people in and some people out, that kind of thing. Here, let's see here. Second uh, John chapter four, by the way, it's not chapter four, verse four. Second John verse four. This is uh, the apostle John, who the the beloved apostle whom Jesus loved, who wrote the Gospel of John. Here's what he says. He writes in Second John, "I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, but one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another." Well, that's Sounds great. And how do we do that? Here's what how we're to love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ Jesus in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or even give him a greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Whoa, there's a a biblical text that literally tells Christians to exclude themselves from deceivers who are teaching false doctrine. Strange, huh? Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, if I mean, the Bible was all about being inclusive and stuff like that, don't you think we'd be able to open the Bible and find all those inclusive texts that Rob Bell supposedly thinks are there? But where is he getting this from? We continue. In fact, let me back this up. See if I can back this up and we'll continue. Here we go. And so instead of throwing stones and causing more pain and suffering in the world by excluding some and writing off others and speaking incredibly unkindly about some, we embrace that we're all on a journey and all of us together, whatever our particular perspective is, let's work together on the real problems we have ahead of us. Hmm. Where does the Bible teach us to just, you know, embrace everybody as one big group of people all in a journey together. I don't recall any of those verses. So again, my, my question is, why should I believe Rob Bell's theology? Why should I believe him? What is there that he can give to me that tells me that what he's truly saying here is what God wants me to think and to believe and to teach regarding him? We continue. A lot of people, when they say, by God ahead, do you mean like same-sex marriage? And yes, and we live in a world where we have friends, neighbors, brothers, sisters, aunts, 
uncles, uh, people we've journeyed with for years who are gay. And we need to love, affirm, and all of us together work on the real problems we have. In- Again, what Bible passages can you point me to that say that we need to love and affirm and bless gay marriages? Where are you getting this from? You're not getting this from the Bible, like not even close. So how is it that your theology trumps the Bible? Why should I believe that what you're saying is true regarding God? The world. And I think that's one of the things you're seeing right now is you are seeing God pulling us all forward into a greater realization that we need more love. We need more. So God's ahead of us pulling us all forward into a realization that we need more love. Again, where are you getting this? Fidelity. We need more monogamy. We need more people who are committed to each other. It's not good for us to be alone. Yeah, quoting Genesis. Yeah, it's not good that man should be alone, God said. And so he decided to make for him a helper. The Hebrew there is wonderful, by the way. When it talks about God making a, quote, helper, it, it, the Hebrew actually there, it, it means, count, it, it's translated as counterpart. That's a little bit closer. But the Hebrew word is talk, it's talking about a face-to-face opposite of, of Adam. That's what the Hebrew is getting at there. Um, so, yeah, just because you cite uh, the Genesis chapter 2, or at least make a fleeting reference to it, doesn't mean you're actually telling us what it says. This is a huge moment when I think lots of us are realizing the old way of seeing things doesn't work. It causes so much pain. Yeah, so the old way of seeing things. You mean the way of seeing things that God's word teaches us? That way of seeing things, it doesn't work. Uh huh. And heartache, and God's inviting us to see things in new ways. So, okay, so there we got a statement again. Another positive, affirmative statement from Rob that God is inviting us to, well, to see things in new ways. How do you know this? I mean, how can you say with any certainty that what you're saying here is true? What are you basing it on? I don't see any biblical passages that say that God is ahead of us, inviting us to to view things in new ways and to affirm gay marriage and things like that. Where are you getting any of these ideas from? And we need to say yes, and then we need to step into the future together. Oh, so we need to say yes and then step into the future. What verses say that again? Again, this is real simple. The question is, which source are you going to believe? Okay. Because Rob Bell is dealing cards here that aren't coming off the biblical deck. He's dealing out these statements. God is ahead of us, pulling us into the future to affirm. God wants us, is inviting us to view things in new ways. To And, you know, we need to step in, you know, say yes and then step into the future. None of those are biblical statements, not one of them. None of this is biblical teaching, not any of it. Um... So the question, where is he, why should I believe any of this? Just because Rob Bell thunk a thought? I mean, you know, oh, there's Rob Bell. You know, everyone knows that Rob Bell, well, he's been a, he's been a rock star in the emergence. He's, he's filmed NUMA videos. He was popular and all throughout the, uh, the early part of the 2000s through youth groups and his NUMA videos. I mean, he was selling out venues that, you know, and when he would go on speaking tours and things like that, everyone wanted to hear what Rob Bell has to say. So, there we go, because Rob Bell thunk a thought. Um, that means that we must think that that thought that Rob Bell thunk, that that's actually what God is thinking as well. Because Rob Bell apparently, without even a Bible, is capable of thinking the very thoughts of God and then communicating those to us 
He's almost like, well, like Moses or something. I, Rob Bell has apparently ascended high into the Andes Mountains or high into the Tibetan wilderness. Uh, up on, And he's meditated and he's received these new words, these new words that tell us that God is ahead of us, pulling us into gay affirmation. God is ahead of us. He he's inviting us to think new ways and inviting us to say yes and join him in the future. I mean, that all sounds good and everything like that. But again, um, I'm not finding any of this in the Bible, so I should just believe this because Rob Bell, a New York Times bestselling author, has thunk a thought and took some time to sit down at his word processor in, on his laptop and write this out and then get it published. So I, therefore, this must be what God wants from me, right? I don't see any reason to believe any of this is from God. I have, there's like no compelling reason being offered here, except for the fact that it's Rob Bell saying it, for me to believe any of these statements. Probably every generation had this sense of, man, we're living in the midst of history. What's interesting about this, and if you look through history, generally great new technological breakthroughs caused a ripple effect across culture. So technology seems to spur all sorts of social, economic, cultural, and religious effects. And I think what has happened with the Internet, and lots of people are saying this, is simply you cannot live in your own tribal bubble anymore. You, you cannot stay cocooned off from how the world actually is. Mm, yeah, you, you can't stay in your own tribal and be cocooned off from the Yeah, you be, so all of you Christians out there who are still holding to biblical Christian orthodoxy, you may as well be the Amish. And what happens when you are all suddenly exposed to thousands of different viewpoints, is it can call... What do you mean suddenly? I mean, this is ridiculous, okay? <laughs> when I was growing up, before the age of the Internet, you know, back in the day when, you know, there were, uh, there were no modems that were uh, purchasable by normal people because they were way too expensive only the government could use modems back then um you know we had to you know communicate you know get using are you ready for this the telephone and and then you know we, there was these things called newspapers yeah and, and in fact i remember my parents they had a subscription to get this get this Newsweek magazine, and then you know what? You know what people did also at night? They would watch this thing called television, and you know what would happen when you would sit down and you would watch television, or you would read newspapers, or you, or worse, you did these, you read these things called books. You were exposed to all of these different ideas. I mean, I, I know this sounds really crazy, but. I have no memories back when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s. Um, I have no memory whatsoever of, you know, gathering around the tribal fire and um, and only kind of like engaging in intellectual inbreeding with people within my community and where we were walled off and cocooned off from every every other foreign idea i i don't remember doing that in fact i remember as a kid very distinctly being exposed to all kinds of crazy ideas many different types of ideas it just they didn't happen on the internet because we didn't have it back then no they came in the newspapers and magazines and uh and radio programs and tv programs uh <clears throat> it's not like things have really changed all that much your own into question and it can have this refining fire sort of dimension to it when you realize wow i've been living with a 
bunch of views and perspectives that that don't actually work and don't actually bring life. So I really, oh no. So so the ultimate determiner of whether or not something is true or false is whether or not it works. Isn't this some kind of a? I think the philosophical word for this is utilitarianism. Hmm. Who knew that that the postmodernism would ultimately just boil down to this? You need to be honest about that, and that can be painful, but it's also liberating. It's where the life is. Hmm. So Rob Bell apparently knows where all the life is, and there you go. I mean, you know, from the crazy, you know, like the Melchizedek generational curse thing, uh, to the somewhere in the middle of just weird uses of language. From the guys talking about prodigal Christianity to Rob Bell, what do these, what do all these guys have in common? Yeah, my question is, where are they getting any of this stuff? And the nice thing is, is that Christianity is based upon the sure and certain Word of God. We can trust it. We ought to trust it. We ought to use it. Read it. Mark it. Inwardly digest it. Trust it. Teach it. Proclaim it. We don't need guys like Rob Bell redefining it or other folks like that coming up with alternative sources for truth for the church. We have the truth. It's found in the Word of God. And contrary to what Rob Bell says, God's Word is living and active. That's where the life is because all Scripture is God-breathed, is theonoustos. Jesus himself calls the written Word of God the Word of God and says not not one iota of it will disappear heaven and earth will pass away jesus says but not his word so um yeah when it comes to who you're gonna trust rob bell i i just don't find it really all that compelling that we need to change christianity just because rob bell thunk a thought and claims that that's where the life is Uh, yeah no i'm i'm gonna go with the written word of god and and stay there and have my conscience bound by it how about you Okay, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate uh, Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be listening to a sermon entitled The Power of a Hug. <laughs> can hardly wait. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. (laughs) 
The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. I just doing, you might ask? Well, I just conquered the outer rim planet of Pico Pond with my trusty double-barreled nuclear plasma cannon. Well, I just did in this video game. But how is it possible for someone like myself to play 13 hours straight and not get a headache? It's quite simple, really. It's because I wear gunners. When I'm rocking these babies, I'm unstoppable. They're not limited to just games, mind you. Oh, no! I rock the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the word processor, and when that's all done, I hop my T-16 and fry me some toasters. If you want to get in on the action, then head over to piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. You gotta see it to believe it. Okay. We're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Gonna do this right though. I mean, with a name like this for a sermon, Power of a Hug, I mean, are they gonna have the Care Bears come out on stage? Afterwards, is it all gonna be rainbows and cotton candy? I mean, what do you do with a sermon named this? Alright, here we go. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon. How is this a sermon? It comes to us via Faith Church, St. Louis, Missouri. David Crank presiding. Again, the name of said sermon is entitled Power of a Hug. Now, already there's a problem, okay? If you're going to have a sermon entitled The Power of a Hug... Where are you going to go in the biblical text to demonstrate the biblical teaching of the power of the hug? 
maybe there are some unknown hug texts out there that I just wasn't aware of. I mean, who, who knew? I mean, that there's an entire Christian teaching regarding hugging. We can call it the huggy theology or something to that effect, which I think may be more appropriate, but let's kill the music here. So without any further ado, here's David Crank and his uh, sermon entitled Power of a Hug. Here we go. You know, I do a lot of uh, corporate teaching and so on, and I did a corporate event today with a lot of high, um, highly paid people and, and motivating them and, and so on. And, and then, of course, at the end, you know, it's not about God, uh, but it's all about God at the same time. It's positive. And, of course, they all watch us on television and so on. And then by the end of that deal, I just freak them all out and go, hey, you know, let me pray for you before you go. And today I did that, and it was so funny because I keep my eyes open, and so do most of them. Like, I dare you pray for me. But you can watch the Holy Spirit do the work. And some of them that look like they they resisted it the most today were the very ones at the back room when I said, hey, I'll, you know, how'd you enjoy today? They were the very ones that said, you know what? They really helped me. And, you know, that's what you, you do. And even though you don't know it sometimes, the outward expression of somebody, sometimes they might not look like they need love or they might not act like you affected them. But I'm telling you what, you can't help but affect them because God, I'm here to explain to you God. Like sometimes you get used to God. No, God, creator of heaven and earth, he's living on the inside of you. So whenever you walk in the room, people don't, sometimes they don't even realize it, but the atmosphere changes. Their depression leaves, and they go, my headaches. <laughs> what? Oh, man. I've never had this happen to me. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. I mean, I've never walked into a room and had the atmosphere change, and people's headaches suddenly clear. You know, and the angels, you know, you can hear the choirs singing, and, and there's trumpets and fanfare off in the heavenly of heavenlies. Uh, when, of course, because, you know, God lives inside of us. So when we walk into a, a room, blammo, miraculous things happen. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say anything to this effect. This is completely coming to the wrong conclusion or making the wrong inference from a biblical text that you're not even preaching from in context. It's gone for the first time. But they'll start wanting to be around you because you're just good. Your neighborhood, if you have a neighborhood association, they ought not charge you because you live there. The neighborhood's better because you're there. Isn't that right? The room's better because you're there. So oh, man. Oh, man. Some of y'all look a little disappointed tonight. You look kind of depressed. I'm so glad you came because I'm going to fix your problem. <laughs> I'm going to make you happy. Today, I, I uh, come here, Arden. I don't know how you, oh, there's a step there. Today I met in the afternoon when I was done with this speaking event. I went into Starbucks to meet a guy who's a friend who about four weeks ago, they said, hey, you have an inoperable brain tumor in your on your brain and, and uh, you've only got a few weeks, maybe, maybe a year. Yeah, that, that's generally where brain tumors are found. <laughs> or maybe, I don't know, not long to live. So we're going to cut you open and do brain surgery just to check it to see if it's cancerous. And it was. And uh, he doesn't come to church here, but a really nice guy. So they did that. And every day, for whatever reason, I guess the Holy Spirit and just love for people. I just, I love people. Every day I send him a voice text. Sometimes four in the morning. Hey, I'm praying for you today. 
I'm here to tell you that Psalms 107.20 says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their transgressions. I'm here to say that by his stripes you are healed. And you know what? If it's okay, I just want to sing to you right now. So I'll be like, I am the God. Four in the morning. That healeth thee. I am the Lord, your healer. I set my word. Okay, serious. If I were to call a friend of mine at four in the morning, you know, suffering from a terminal illness, and he started doing this, yeah, I don't think even I am capable of being polite to my own friend. I would, you know, he'd hear the click. Word and it healed your disease. I am the Lord, your healer. In fact, in a second, I'm going to send you the link to a guy who sings that better than me. The guy who wrote it, Don Moen. And so then I send that, and then I send the link, and then sometimes I'll just go back and go to bed. If I can get past Nicole snoring, you know, just trying to go. To sleep. Yeah, I mean, this is all great. I mean, this these little personal anecdotes and stuff. But the job of a pastor is to preach the word. And yeah, in fact, yeah, let me see what I got here. Um, since he's not preaching, and I, I might want to take a look at a biblical text or two here. I mean, just to throw some Bible in, do a you know sermon time, which is not something I should have to be doing here. Second Timothy chapter four, Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this: "I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach." The word. This is written, by the way, to young Pastor Timothy. So he's supposed to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But um, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure the suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Yeah, so they will they will have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who will suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth, and will turn away and wander off into myths. Now, um, is I mean, is it a myth, or is it the truth? That God is ahead of us, pulling us into the future, and wants to be gay-affirming. That's a myth. In fact, so Rob Bell is probably the the more slicker guy out there as far as the ear-tickling kind of preachers out there. Now, um, what David Crank here is doing, he's scratching itching ears himself. He's not preaching the word. He really isn't. And um, we need to get back to this sermon and see if he's ever going to actually... Open a biblical text, rightly handle it, and correctly teach it. Let's see. So uh, so I've been out of town this last week, and so he called me and said, Hey, I'm up and at them. They did the brain surgery and so on. I'm going to get my stitches taken out today. So anyway, I can see you. I want to touch you. So I went into Starbucks and met him and his wife. And when I walked in, I sat there for a minute. He wasn't there. I walked in, and here's what he did. He saw me. There are people everywhere, right? His wife is everywhere. But I want to tell you what it looks like. And I'm preaching right now. If you didn't know, we're going. We're on we're in the air. He didn't care about anybody in the room. He didn't care what anybody thought anymore. Didn't have any big plans anymore. Wasn't worried about the fact that he's buffed and ripped up kind of guy. When he saw me, he'd come over and he just, he did like this. That would be a hug that you just heard happening. We're not done yet. <laughs> He's still doing that, right? And I'm like, 
Okay, man. Okay, man. No, no, not him. Okay. And then everybody's looking, and he goes, God, I love you. He didn't care. And it was not weird, because let me tell you, when do you know you only got a few days left? I got hugged today, and I could feel the hug. Now, we do this kind of hug, and that's fine. You know, hey, aren't you good to see me? Good to see you, buddy. But then there's that hug where you know, this might be the last time I get to hug this dude. He's been praying over me every day. He's been loving me. And then he held on. So, you know, thank you, Arden. By the way, your hug wasn't nearly as powerful as his, but you have so much more time left. But I, 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 on the way home, if you follow me on Facebook, I just kind of did a little video and I said, you know, I think I might just talk about the power of the hug. Or the power of just living life free of whatever it is that's bugging you tonight. Because I can tell when I look at you tonight, some of you. Uh, um, now, I, it's fine that you're sentimental and all about this, but... Again, the job of a pastor is to preach the word, and we've heard a lot about, well, this story about your life and this powerful hug that you received from a friend of yours that's dying, and, and I understand that could be emotional and things of that nature. Um, no, there's no, there's no problem with that. It's just that this isn't what's supposed to be preached in a Christian church. What's supposed to be preached is the word of God. And, um, again, I'm not familiar with the passages that lay out the power of the hug doctrine, but if there are such passages, you better get to them quick and start reading them and exegeting them. Something's hurting you. You got a problem. You got a situation. Maybe in the light of an inoperable brain tumor, your problem might begin to look rather small. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, you live... Today, and you live. When I mean live today, I don't mean oh, I got that done today. I mean you live today. That means when you meet somebody, you go. I'm getting ready to put the hug of a lifetime on you right now. God, the Creator of heaven and earth, He loves you so much. He loves you so much that that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's where you're going to go with this, right? Today, He's asking me to tell you, stop worrying about the stupid stuff. Uh, what? God loves me so much that He told you to tell me, stop worrying about the stupid stuff. Really? Life's going to go on without you. He told me today, so you know... Go with me to Matthew 6 if you want to. He said, um, I was amazed when I got home how my kids, had, they kept the house going. They paid all the bills. While I was out, he said, you know, those kids knew how to crack every coat I had. <laughs> they were on all my computers and got into everything and figured out where daddy keeps the money here and where the scouts are over here. Begin to move and begin to shake. And, they begin, and he realized, and that's what I want you to realize, that it's not a depressing message. This is a happy message that life's going to go on without you. So since life's going to go on without you, make sure you do your life the way you want to do it. Which is not, oh man, I don't know what to do. I owe so much money. Yeah, um, you know, I can get a message like this from, well, Oprah. I can get this from Tony Robbins or Eckhart Tolle or Deepak Chopra. 
Um, but the, the message I would never get from Oprah, Deepak Chopra, or Anthony Robbins, or Eckhart Tolle is the biblical gospel. You got any of that for me? I told the guy today I was with three high-powered executives in the state of Missouri, and they both wanted to go to lunch with me, and I sit down with them. And we're talking, and they said something about, you know, all the stuff we've done. And I said, you know what, I finally, I don't worry about that stuff, about the money. I said, really? I said, yeah. I said, you know how I got over worrying about money? I said, I said when I borrowed my first million, boys, I was afraid. But then I just went ahead and borrowed nine million, and now I'm not afraid. The bank's afraid. <laughs> Y'all see what I'm saying? I hear him talk about me. Yeah, um, where is the borrowing of the nine million mentioned in the Bible? <laughs> so now I'm not afraid. You're afraid. So you can just tip the scale so far. It don't. It doesn't matter. You're like, I'm not worried. You ought to be worried, but I'm not worried. Y'all see what I'm saying? So stop worrying about the light affliction that you have and the temporary problem that you have. And the doctor's report, and she left you, and he left you. Listen, you were looking for somebody when they le- when 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 you found them. You'll find a new one. And I'm not making light of your situation. I'm just saying, we don't know how much time we got left. So enjoy today. If you're going to take a day off, take a day off. And they're going, ooh, it's not going to make it without me. No, I'm telling you what they're going to do. They're going to crack your code. They're going to pay your bills. They're going to take your money. They're going to spend your inheritance or whatever. They're going to just spend. Life's going to go on. You're going to be gone, especially at the rate of worry that you're at. You can worry so much the hair will fall out of your wig. You don't want that to happen. So Matthew 6, let's go there. Matthew 6, it says, Take heed that you do not do your alms before men for them to see you. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do his alms or you give offerings, don't trumpet it as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in the streets, that they may glory in men. For verily I say unto you that they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, when you do pray, when you do give, don't let the left hand know what the right hand does. And that, that which is done in secret, and the Father may see it in secret and reward you openly. Now, I want to talk to you about that for one second. We're just going to turn over some rocks. Number one is there can be a religious spirit that comes over you, and you get to thinking that, well, the Bible said they don't talk about your tithes and offerings. No, it was in the sense of bragging. Oh, yeah, look what I'm doing. Look what I did. That, that's, that's offensive to God. But sometimes it's just fine to go ahead and let people know. It encourages people. But there can be a religious spirit that comes over people, and it happens in churches. And today, when I was talking to that guy, he said, uh, we got deeply hurt at church. We got really deeply, deeply hurt at a church we went to. Then we went to another church, and we got hurt again. And so, you know, I'm just so glad that, that you're here for us, and you love us. And we don't, I don't even, he didn't even go to my church. But I said, hey, wait, wait just a second. I want to let you know that I'm going to hurt you. Everybody's going to hurt you. So you go to church, people are going to hurt you. If you're alive, you're going to get hurt. Things are going to happen. The fences are going to come. Trials are going to come. But So don't allow a religious spirit to come over you. And religious people, a lot of times, they'll hurt you the most because they, they have this religious spirit. Like, oh, you shouldn't do that. So you maybe say, hey, I, you know, I'll, I'll bless the church with this or that and the other. And they go, you ought not say that. Or you say, hey, you know, I'm fasting for God to do a miracle. Well, there's your reward. I wasn't bragging. I was just stating the fact what God's doing in my life. Y'all picking up what I'm saying? It can be a critical mindset. And that's what God's talking about here. Verse 5. And when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, be not like the hypocrites who love to pray standing in the synagogues and the corners of the streets that they might be seen of men. For verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you pray, enter into your closet. 
Shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and the Father which is in secret will reward you openly. But when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard through their much speaking. But not ye therefore, like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask. And a good scripture to follow that up would be St. John fifteen seven. And after this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father, chart in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a good scripture for non-worrying, for no worrying. Don't worry about tomorrow. And forgive, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Don't worry about trying to get people to do right, about making them do right. You know, it's pride oftentimes that makes us think that we know um, that the other person's not right. It's pride to say, well, I don't think they're right. Well, who are you to think they're right? People today, they might have seen my friend hug me and hold me like that for a minute, and they might have thought, well, what's that dude's deal? Is anyone else having a hard time connecting the dots from the passage he just read from the Sermon on the Mount to the story he told regarding his friend? I am not seeing how these even connect at all. But had they known his whole story which they did not, then they would understand what his deal was. But all the time, people are walking around, and we don't know what they're going through. So we judge them. Matthew 7 says, Do not judge, lest your Father in heaven will see you and judge you accordingly. He didn't say, That's a good idea not to judge. No, he said, Do not. So he just, you know, and I do it. And, and Jesus himself said, And make a right judgment. It's not a blanket statement to do not judge. It's judging correctly and rightly. Too, I judge people. But oftentimes when I judge them, I judge them wrong because we judge them after the flesh. So then it's a form of worry, too, because you're worrying about, well, I don't think they're right. I need to tell somebody they're not right. (laughs) You're not right. If you tell somebody they're not right, even if they're not right, guess who's not right now? Well, that would mean that you're not right because you're saying that somebody who says that somebody's not right isn't right. And you're saying that they're not right by saying that someone's not right. This is a self-defeating proposition. You're not right. Look at your neighbor and say, I knew you weren't right the whole time. But we get too quick to judge. Because, listen, at the end of the day, when life is so short, there's no sense trying to make people pay, make people do right. I don't know how many Christmases you got left, but it's not nearly as many as you had 10 years ago. I don't know how many Easter's we have left but it's not nearly as many as we had 20 years ago. So just enjoy today. Take God at his word. Trust him. Love God and love people. And when you love God and love people, people just be drawn to you. Because, you know, the one thing that you guys have helped me do, I got some water. Um, The one thing that you guys have helped me do is be on television, and the television ministry really helps me walk around town and everybody loves me. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, wow. I, I mean, that's great. I mean, you walk around t- and everybody loves you because of your television ministry. Okay. Weird. This is just bizarre. Like, uh, Mickey Mouse in this town. People want to hug me. People want to shake my hand. Because for years now, they've watched this, not ask for money, and they've watched this. I'm not pointing the finger at you this way. I'm pointing the finger at this way. So I don't care what lifestyle they're in. I don't care how bound they are. They'll come up and just talk to me because they know I love them. And then they don't. The only people that judge me, like, you know, if I'm out and people see my tattoo, I got a tattoo as a senior pastor. That freaks people out. Well, I don't think you ought to. We didn't ask. 
Got my wife's name, put on my arm. Why? You don't know the whole story. Uh, what does this have to do with the Sermon on the Mount? Again, what you just read about not doing your righteous deeds before everybody? She was nervous one day because we were walking through someplace, and I forget what happened, but a bunch of girls were divorced, and then all oh, some girls were talking to me or something. She said, oh, please don't ever leave me or something. So it's a club. Yeah, we weren't at a club or at a restaurant, but there, there was a bunch of 40-year-old girls, uh, women, I guess now. When you're 40, they're still girls. And they're, uh, if you're 20, you're like, girls, those are old ladies. It's shame on you. And so she said, oh, please don't ever leave me. I'm insecure or something. And so I just thought, well, I'll just settle that. I'll just put my name on your arm. Uh, so I just put her name on my arm. So some religious people might say, well, what, I don't think you ought to do that. You know, that's okay. Even if I'm wrong, even if I was wrong, I don't think I'm going to go to hell for it. I don't think the Lord's going to kill me. Well, um, that's great. Um, again, wh- what does this have to do with Matthew chapter 6, like the opening verses? I am totally lost here. Anointing still seems to be on my life. Uh, so the anointing still seems... So you're a Messiah. You're an anointed one. Huh. Um, so just don't, don't, don't nitpick stuff. But when you become judgmental... All your joy is gone and all worry comes on you that you need to set somebody right. You don't need to set anybody right. Just go go obey the Lord. Obey your leadership. You're setting these people right by telling them not to set people right. Again, self-defeating proposition. What do you mean leadership? Talk about if you're a manager, if you're at Walmart and your manager tells you to be there at 859 because you keep coming to 902, just obey him as if it was the Lord. Well, you don't know. He's a jerk. He's got his wife's name tattooed on his arm. The Lord didn't say anything about that. So don't judge it after the flesh. Okay. All right. Um, how is this a sermon again? I'm really confused. We continue. Now, for the sake of time only, let's go to verse 25, 625. Therefore I say unto you, say he's talking to me. Say it again, class. He's talking to who? Sometimes you read the Bible and you think, oh, he's talking to somebody else. He's talking to you. Take no thought for your life, what you shall drink, or, or, or for your body, or what you shall put on. Is life not more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they neither, neither, uh, neither reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not better than they are? Shout, I believe I am. My Bible is falling apart. Sometimes I just pick out pieces and take it with me. They say when your Bible is falling apart, you're not. Verse 27. Who of you, by taking a thought, can add one inch to his stature or his height? Why do you take thought about your raiment, about your clothes? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither grow nor toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed like one of these. Wherefore, if God can clothe the grass of the field, which is today and, and is gone tomorrow, cast into the fire, can he take care of you, O you of little faith? Take no thought saying. Take no thought saying. Let's see if he figures out what this text is really about. I'm going to clean this up in a minute here. Take no thought saying. You say, what's that mean? Sometimes you hear a thought, and then you say it. My friend today, his wife was sitting next to me, and she said, man, he's just not sleeping. Wakes up about 2 in the morning, wants to talk. Well, if you're laying there, and you have these thoughts, 
while you're laying there having thoughts, you can take the thought and begin to say it. Now, what are we going to do? Am I really going to die? Do we have enough money? How to take care of the kids? I got a little girl. I got a little son. What am I going to do? So you take those thoughts. So what I told him is I said, you know what's worse than cancer on the, on the brain is cancer on the mind. The battle is won and lost between these two appendages hanging off the side of your head. Some of them are holding various pieces of ornaments. Right here. Have you noticed sometimes, and you online, on online campus, have you noticed in the middle of the night that it gets worse than sometimes during the day? You get out during the day and you're fine. Everything's fine. And then all of a sudden you lay down at night and it gets real quiet. You're the only one up. You can hear your ears ringing. Have you ever heard your ears ringing? And the enemy and the enemy start having you take thoughts. Well, this is a great passage. It's just the enemy and the inner me. What? See, I've been at it many times. It says, hey, take no thought saying. Don't think about that. Shout, I control my mind. My mind doesn't control me. Verse 31, therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows what things you need, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Take, therefore, no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take sufficient thought for itself. Say, so have you ever really got yourself really worked up about something, and then a day or two later it really didn't matter, it all worked out? All right. Oh, man, this is a time when he probably should not be preaching. Um, <clears throat> Matthew chapter... Six. Okay. We are going to take a look starting at verse 24. Okay. This is a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And let's take a look at what Jesus is really getting at here because this is a common passage that many people really do not get and understand. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you. Okay. Now, you'll notice he started at verse 25. And a funny little statement that I've heard from these seeker-driven guys, it actually is not a bad little hermeneutical point, is that anytime you're in a biblical text and you see the word therefore, it's a good idea to ask what it's there for. Verse 25 begins with therefore. That means it's referring to what uh, Jesus was preaching about in the verses ahead of it. So that's why I started at verse 24 to get the context so we know what the therefore is. So let me read it again. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And here's the important part. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? More value of they to whom? Answer, your heavenly Father. The answer is yes, you are. And which of you, by being anxious or worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? 
answer to that question is you can't. In fact, worrying probably takes hours and days and weeks and months and years off of your lifespan. Verse 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and is tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O, uh, clothe you, o you of little faith? So the point here that Jesus is getting at is their lack of faith, their lack of belief, their lack of trust that God will care for them, that God considers them more valuable than sparrows. And he points to nature and he says, consider these things. Look at the grass of the field and how beautiful it is when the flowers come out. I mean, even Solomon in all of his splendor never looked like a meadow with the wildflowers in the spring. Never once has was Solomon did his splendor even approach that. And yet, the, that meadow, it's the grass that grows there. It's here today and then gone tomorrow and thrown into the furnace, right? Or look at the birds of the field. They don't, they don't toil. They don't spin. They don't create factories or anything like that. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them and you are more valuable than they. And so he's pushing them regarding their lack of faith, their lack of trust, okay? Because worrying, by the way, is you trying to solve a problem that you really probably can't even solve when you should be taking it to God in prayer. It's a form of self-idolatry. You are the, the one who's going to chart your own course, and when you do that and you're constantly meditating and chewing on these things in your mind, God's left out of the equation and you're not trusting him. You're trusting yourself. That's why you're looking for the answer, right? You can concoct something that'll solve the problem. We continue. Oh, you of little faith, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, they seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, and this is the important part, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. His righteousness. What is this referring to? Well, this is cross-referenced with like passage like uh, Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says, wanting to be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own that's from the law, but the righteousness that is by faith. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's to trust him for the forgiveness of sins. Trust him for him to clothe you in the righteousness of Christ. Trust him for the free gift of salvation, which is given to you by grace through faith alone. As, as you know, and, and that's the idea here. And all these things will be added to you. Trust and believe that God is merciful towards you, even though you're a sinner. Because Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, as well as forgive us our trespasses. Believe that God is merciful and kind towards you and that he's pardoned your sin and propitiated the wrath of God and atoned for you by, by his blood, by his suffering and death on the cross. This tells you, 
of God's love for you. God loves you. God loves the whole world so that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. Trust him. This is what it means to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all that other stuff, God will make sure that you get what you need because you are more valuable to him than grass, more valuable to him than sparrows. You're so valuable that he was willing to shed his own blood. We were purchased with the very blood of God. This is what Jesus is pushing these folks to, faith and trust that's grounded in the knowledge that God is merciful, that God cares, that God will meet their needs, that he will forgive their sins. That's what Jesus is pointing at. But we continue. Not anybody in here? You ever been freaked out about something and then five years later realized that so shouldn't have been a big deal? Let me tell you something. What you're freaked out about right now, you're going to think the same thing about it. I've always got problems. I had to come to the realization that there's pastors watching me that if you have a church with more than 10 people in it, you're going to have around nine problems. And not making flight of the people, just people have problems, you know? They're hurt, they're divorced, they're betrayed. So people got problems. Problems. What you're describing there is, well, the result of sin. It's more than just problems, and you're trivializing it by doing what you're doing. And then you run around a thousand people and you got a whole lot more problems. And then you run five thousand people and you got a boatload of problems. And then we have twelve thousand active members at this church. I got a lot of problems. But you know what I don't do? It's easier on me now to run the church than it was when it was 200. Because when it was small, the people would get amongst each other and they'd start talking about how bad I was and how bad this is and that you'd have all this junk going on. The church is so big, you can lose 200 people and never know they're gone. <laughs> if I lost 200 people before, I was in trouble, Arden. Why are we? But just us. We lose 200 people. It's been me and you and Susie and Arden, you know, just sitting there. But now 200 people go, and it's like, oh, man, I didn't know. They'll see me and be like, you know what? I forgive you. It's religious people, you know. I forgive you. I said, oh, thank you. What did I do? (laughs) You made me mad. I did. I'm sorry. Yep, I left the church. Oh, and I'm thinking, I had no clue. (laughs) I didn't even know you came to the church. And I say it with love and concern because I really don't want to hurt them. I want to love on them. But I thought, God, love them. They've been walking around with all this unforgiveness about me, and I didn't even know. So I made try to hug them and say, man, I thank you for forgiving me, and I'm sorry for hurting you. I didn't even know I hurt you. And then I go home and go to bed. And then the Lord says, Psalm 37, the meek shall inherit the earth. Yeah, I've had people call me. And chew me out. I had a major pastor call me from this town. I was in Florida on vacation with my family. And this this person called. And they had a word to say to me. And how long do you think she yelled at me? 20 minutes she yelled, this preacher lady did, how bad I was and how I was horrible. And I'm a jerk and I'm this, that, and the other. And my wife's going, give me that phone. Give me that phone. Give me that phone. I want to talk to her. And I could hear the Lord telling me, let her vent on you. It's okay. She's hurt. So all the way, I'll never forget it. We were there again the other day, uh, you know, a year or two later. And I was 
going to the same theme park and I was driving down the road and I had forgotten about it, but I saw the sights and thought, I remember being here. Last time I was here, I was getting reamed. <laughs> but I had forgiven her as soon as we hung up the phone because hurt people hurt people. And I know I'm not being funny tonight and I got a million jokes and I can make you laugh and we could, you know, rah-rah and you'd scream and I could get the organ going. But there's sometimes where uh, Tuesday night's a good, good night for you to just come and say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, straighten me out. Because, I mean, me included, all of us need a good attitude adjustment sometimes. And say, what was I thinking? Why was I being rude? Love is kind. Love is tenderhearted. Love's not puffed up. Love doesn't insist on its own way. And the closer you get, I sit beside. If I go to the hospital and see you, that means you're dying. There's 12,000 people. I can't go see everybody. So if you if you go to the hospital, you're going to see Arden. You're going to see Susie. And there, nobody's better than them in the other pastoral scenes. But if you see me, be scared. Be prepared because you're about to go see the Lord. And I know it never sets over well in my staff. Tells me, don't say that because people, they get mad at you. I just have to tell you, it just makes sense. Doesn't it? How in the world could I go see thousands of people every day? Everybody's going for a corn removal or a, you know augmentation of some sort or something. I mean, I... I'm just telling you that when I go, it's usually a bad thing. So the flip side of that is I get to see what it looks like when you're moments away from going to see the Lord. And there's not a whole lot of, I told them, I need to get that done. Why did my staff finish that job? Oh, we lost money on that deal. Where's my retirement? I don't hear any of that. I hear a whole lot of, come here, let me hug you. And if you're younger in here today, I'm here to tell you that I have something to tell you. What I'm telling you right now, not everybody who's even 43 knows what I know about life in the sense that I'm not an expert, but when you see enough people jack things up and live a miserable life, you know what not to do. How many of y'all can receive that from me? And then plus I have a, a privilege that you might not have as being a pastor of a great church. The Lord speaks to me. And he spoke to me today. Wow. Okay. So the prophet David Crank. He said to tell you to quit worrying about this stupid stuff. Just stop worrying. Nobody. Just stop, wor- stop worrying about the stupid stuff, said Jesus in no passage of scripture anywhere. Nobody in here owes as much money as me. And do I look worried to you? I'm not. Nobody in here has as many problems as I do. I'm pretty sure. I got loads of problems. I got staff problems. I've got attitude problems. I've got volunteer problems. We've got TV problems. We've got leaks and problems. We've got contractor problems. We've got all kinds of problems. What I do is I don't work in the business and go, oh, I want to drill down today on this problem and that problem. I work on the business, not in the business. So that means I can see today what the Lord would have to say. A lot of preachers get caught up, and Arden can tell you, they get so caught up in all the stuff of the church and the politics and the problems that they don't hear from God. And what you need more than anything is a man of God, not to come see you when you get your corn removed. You need a guy that's out. 
where is he getting this? Not from the Bible. I've been with the Lord Jesus, and I have a word for you, and you can feel the presence of God come through you. Shout hallelujah. I like this in the Amplified. It says in 31, Therefore do not be worried or anxious, saying, What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the Gentiles are the heathen wish and crave diligent for these things, and your heavenly Father knows well what you need. But seek, aim at, strive after first. Aim at, strive after first the kingdom and his righteousness and his ways of doing right and being right. And then all these things will be taken together and be given to you more besides. So do not worry or be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have worries and anxieties sufficient for the day of trouble. If you're a note taker, write it down in Matthew 14, verse 22. Peter starts having panic attacks. If you're a note taker, write down 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Proverbs 3, you hear me quote that a lot. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He'll direct your path. And so many times you and I get all freaked out and worried about little stuff that really doesn't matter. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have plenty of worries tomorrow. So don't worry about worrying tomorrow. You're going to be a whole new set of worrying. I've actually had problems, you probably have too, that you were really worried about. And then a huge problem come along and you're like, boy, I wish I just had that to worry about. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm saying? I'm learning so much about David Crank's life. I'm learning practically nothing about Jesus. Now i got a huge problem. Don't expect problems, but know they will come. But the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. So when the problem comes, don't fear it. Trust it. And you can so control yourself, too, to where you're just not rocked anymore. You're not, stuff doesn't scare you. I've got myself trained to where in a crowd people can scream, cameras have fallen over, shots, sounds like shots have been fired, and I never, (gasps) that's my greatest fear is ever looking like I was afraid. So no matter what happens, chill. Calm your, you know, you can calm yourself to where, you know, no big deal. So just work on that in your own life. Quit allowing yourself to be anxious and agitated and upset, fretting. Don't do that. Just chill. Then you'll live longer. I told my friend today, I said, here's what I want you to do tonight. I want you to just chill and, yeah, you'll live longer. Because the Bible has all kinds of passages that say that, right? I want you to call your doctor. Tell your pastor said you need a little more medicine. Shut your mind off at night. Made a few suggestions to him. Just to knock yourself down a little. So you can go to sleep. Because if you've ever been uh, deprived of sleep three or four days, and then next thing you know you have a cold, you get sick. Then you can go into pneumonia because you're not properly resting. So rest. Just Just rest. So he needs to kind of shut his mind off. So every once in a while, just shut your mind off and turn on some worship music, go to bed, forget about it, relax a little, and then you wake up tomorrow with a fresh presence of mind because when you get agitated and stressed, I promise you this, you'll make a decision out of fear, and every decision made out of fear will be a wrong decision. Well, they're going to take advantage of me. They might quit. Let them quit. 
What's going to happen? Life's going to go on. The one thing that we can't control is me. Out of all the staff that come and go and problems that come and go or people that come and go, I always know, I always tell Nicole, I said, you know what we got going for us? You and I will be there Sunday. And after all, that's who built the church anyway. So for the most part, people are coming to see. Oh, you built it, not Jesus. That was an important confession. This product that we offer, they're not coming to see Johnny Hotshot or this or that or the other. Or, or that's why I'm never upset about, I wonder what people are going to think if we jack the whole auditorium. People come when they feel the presence of God. My dad always said, he said, pray till the fire of God hits you and people come just watch you burn. You don't have to really do much fancy stuff. I feel tonight that everybody here knows they heard a word from the Lord because the Lord speaks through people. Yeah, I um, can't say I've really heard much from the Lord um, except for, yeah, you did read some biblical text. That's about the extent of what I heard from God and you've done a like really awful job of exegeting those passages. I'm um, this is more like just share whatever comes to mind time over there at Faith Church in St. Louis. Uh, the Bible said believe ye the prophets and so shall ye prosper. And then know this about also if you're young in here you know and you've 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 caused problems, you know? We all have. Don't sit there and freak out about the problems. Don't think about what you think somebody else is thinking about. It's not your right to know what somebody else is thinking about you. Well, they're thinking about me, so it's my right. I think there's some kind of copyright on that. No, no right. And so you'll get yourself upset. You know, Morgan, today she sent me a text because I come in the office once today for a minute and, and made a couple adjustments on stuff. And then she texted me and she said something about, hey, we, when we were doing this, I didn't want you to think we were doing that. And I said, Morgan, you worry too much about what I think. I'm so proud of you. You do such a great job. I wasn't even thinking that about you. He's incredible. <laughs> She's just amazing. Pastor Phil, the same way. Never have a minute problem out of him. Does such a great job. And sometimes they're worried about, so they're having anxiety. And the last thing I want those guys to do is have any more anxiety in their life, especially about what I'm thinking. Because after all, you know what I'm thinking about them? God, I hope I never lose them because they're the best thing God ever gave me. And they're thinking that I'm thinking something else. You see what I'm saying? So you can replay all kinds of negativity in your mind. So don't think, well, I wonder what pastor's thinking. I'm not. <laughs> Some of y'all had a pretty good idea. That was, uh, I sure wasn't thinking on that. I don't, I don't live my life out of my brain. I live it out of my heart. If you're secular and you're watching tonight, it would be the book Blink. What's your Blink telling you? Malcolm Gladwell. You know it already. Mm, yeah, the book Blink, Malcolm Gladwell. <clears throat> Same author as Tipping Point. Um, Yeah, that's not in the Bible. Fire him. Get rid of him. Sell it. He's lying to you. Move. Shake that. Say that. No, got to check. Don't say it. Supposed to say it. Well, let me go back and tell you I just lied to you. <laughs> I do that. I did it twice last week. I said something that wasn't totally true. And I said, yeah, I just lied to you. So apparently confession's good for the soul here. It wasn't totally true. It's actually kind of this way. And it breaks you of that. You don't lie more than a couple times a week when you say, you know, I'm a liar and I just lied to you. 
It's getting quiet in here, but I'm telling you right now, you're quiet because you're freaking out. Oh, that's too honest. Just get that way. Just, just say, hey, I just lied to you. I just got to apologize to you. There's a man in this room right now that lied to me and Nicole. Um, we were driving in our car, and uh, and he lied. And it wasn't a big lie. I'm just talking about little lies. Like, you know, you say, uh, yeah, I told him I'd be there at 3. Well, no, you didn't. You know, so if you so this guy said something like that. I told him to be there at three, and then he said, "You know, I just lied to you. I, I forgot to tell him that I was gonna. I meant to tell him." My respect level for that guy went. So like, I can trust him. You can trust a guy that says he lied and he has lied and he's a liar. But whatever you do, don't trust a person who says they've never lied. They just lied to you. And that's the sermon, The Power of a Hug. What has happened to Christianity? What has happened? Have we become so bored with God's Word, rightly taught, that we can just ignore it, spend sermon time... You know, listen to the pastor jaw on and on and on and on about oh, what he thinks, you know, ideas that he has, the latest book he read, the anecdotal stories that are currently happening in his life, and, and you know, some good little life tips, you know, right there thrown in that will help you if you want to be successful in your business or th- things like that. I mean, what has happened? What what what's happened to Jesus? Where did he go? What happened to his word? Are we back in medieval Catholicism where God's word is now locked up again in the Latin Vulgate and we can't read it because none of us knows Latin? Is that what's happened? Has somehow the you know the medieval Roman magisterium come in and ob- taken up all of our Bibles and taken them away from us and we don't know what to preach on a Sunday? This is ridiculous. The job of the pastor is to preach the word, not his opinions, not his own little pet theologies, not his theories about how the universe works or wonderful little tips on how to run your business and manage people and be a good leader. The job of the pastor is to preach the word. Yeah, there was some word in there, but... Good luck trying to figure out how it interfaced with any of the stories he was telling. It was almost as if he thought, "Ah, you know, I better throw some verses in here. Otherwise, somebody's going to complain and send me a harshly worded email and say that wasn't even a sermon. That's really what it seemed like to me. What do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.